0: what's up everybody welcome back to another episode of write who you know i'm matt Housefetter, and this is the screenwriting podcast that's the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes wow uh it's monday july 17th uh it's a scorcher out there uh sag is officially on strike with the writers guild which is crazy i have been saying for weeks like i don't think sag's gonna strike if they refill their health fund what choice do they have but truly like good on them and Kudos to Fran Drescher for standing up to all these ding dong studio heads in the face of uh, in the face of uh, this strike, uh, because I think we're gonna get a much better deal now, and we are all scraping by and just doing what we're doing, and frankly, those residuals pad our life so that we can continue to do these. You know, these shows, uh, although there's like 520 TV shows, some of them go for 8 to 10 weeks, and then it's over, and the showrunner writes most of the scripts, and so they get the script fee. It's not what you think. It's not like the days of making friends in Seinfeld and, uh, you know, Spin City, where it's just uh, everyone's making millions and printing cash. I wish it were. I truly wish it were, but it's not, Uh, and, you know, if we don't stand up now, I don't know how people can continue to do this as a livelihood, you know, in the next 10, 20 years, truly. Uh, which is why I do copywriting on the side, uh, which is a whole other thing that could be replaced. But I I, I continue to need work, and uh, it's funny for Bob Iger and for you know these sources to tell Deadline, oh, we're going to try and squeeze the writers until they're broke. It's like, I've been broke, player. I've had to work at Barney's, player. I have to copyright on the side, player. I'm not driving around in a fucking Porsche, just fucking going to Gucci and eating at La Scala. I mean, I may eat La Scala, but... Uh, I'm not balling out of control, and um, it's just hysterical to hear all these big fat cat dipshits who are on super yachts uh, talk about us that way. Anyway, uh, on the podcast today, we have an incredible guest. Abdullah Saeed is on the podcast today. He is a writer. He is a TV show host. He is a journalist. He is a musician. He is a radio show host. He acts. He honestly, uh, he does it all. Uh, And I'm so excited to talk to him today. He's the creator of the upcoming show Deli Boys on Hulu. He is the writer and creator of shows like Bong Appetit. He created the column Weedekit. He has interviewed amazing musicians from Freddie Gibbs to Kid Koala to DJ Shadow he has appeared on shows with Ravi Patel like The Pursuit of Happiness on what is or was HBO Max you can catch him everywhere he does stand up or you can catch him taking dabs live on Instagram here's my interview with writer and buddy Abdullah Saeed pass nope we love Matt it's just a really hard time right now the industry's contracting come back to us and get some bigger attachments Tell them right what you know. No, tell them
1: right who you know. It's not like, oh, you roll into Hollywood and you make millions of dollars and then you just blow it on whatever, you know?
0: Hookers and coke. Yeah,
1: you know, (laughs) it's like I realized that it comes in waves, right? Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. There's very, very small exceptions, you know, among writers, actors, producers who are just constantly crushing. And even those who have the appearance of constantly crushing Are probably not. You know what I mean? Like it is like, you know, Instagram has sort of democratized the idea of having a media facade of how exciting your life is or how much you're doing right when you're not doing that much. That's what Hollywood has been since its inception, totally. perhaps,
0: you know what I mean? Yeah, you got to, f- I mean, it's truly fake it till you make it or like stretching, exaggerating the truth, lying on your resume, like famously David Geffen did, you know, he like said, I went to UCLA when he applied to one of the agencies and, you know, he was so indispensable by the time they found out, it was like, what are you going <laughs> to, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. um, so I feel like the big part of that is like, you know, you'll see these people driving Porsches that like live in a fucking tiny apartment because mm-hmm. when they pull up to lunch at Medeo or whatever they want to make you think oh he's a successful whomever.
1: Yeah, I, I have the opposite thing going. My my <laughs> car is way shittier than my house. <laughs> like way shittier. And it's I love my car, right? Uh but it's what disgusting. kind of car do you is it that you hate? I have a a Volkswagen golf. I have a 2018 Volkswagen golf, I okay. think. Did you? Maybe it, a do 2020. You have a name? Uh, yeah, his name's Percy. I okay. named my car. Same. Okay. Last one was Sean. Uh, <laughs> Why? Why was it Sean? I love. He that. told it to me. He told it to me. But so my, my Volkswagen Golf That's... is is many things to me. Uh, a, I don't have to think about the bill at all. I you know this is an amazing thing. It's like it's a go kart, right? It's a pretty peppy car, <laughs> yeah, and it gets me the fuck around. You know what I mean? It, it does its thing. I don't feel the need to really maintain it because it's like I feel like if you spend a lot of money on something, you're like, oh, shit. okay, I should keep it clean. I should do this and that. And I probably should keep my car clean. But right now it's just like sweatshirts and weed ash and like six uh,
0: hundred water uh, bottles.
1: No, I was going to say six picket signs that say honk (laughs) in various variations because that's the mantle I've picked up uh, during the the strike. Yeah you're the honk guy i'm a honk guy yeah. there's many honk guys actually several of us we are, are all honk are on guys. a text chain <laughs> yeah.
0: you want to join the yeah. honk guy sure Text chain? bro sure. i'll give you a honk sign right now what what studio is your favorite to pick it at
1: um so i go because of proximity to disney right mm-hmm. and 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 i pick it there uh that I've gone to Netflix a bunch, too. That's relatively close as Disney, well.
0: Disney is my favorite.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, because it's like you got the long walk. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, if you're a hunt guy, there's a really good corner right there where it's like, you know, the thing I, I really enjoy about the strike. Right. And let's be clear. I don't enjoy the strike. I literally was eight weeks into the writer's room. My first fucking show. Show you crea- a show that you create. A show by that the way, I
0: created. I think is important. To, yeah. to, to asterisk yeah. on that on your first writers room being one that you created.
1: Yeah. So it, it's been extremely painful. I would say that, and of course, I mean, you know, we're talking on the day, the last day of SAG's deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like the the chaos is very stressful. Uh, but yeah, I, I I was eight weeks in, right? Uh, but you know, like uh, actually. Someone I worked with on Delhi Boys, Vali Chandrasekharan, who was really, you know, like, uh, such a source of just experience and knowledge for me on that. He told me once, thrive in the chaos. There's always going to be chaos, thrive in it. And I think that's such good advice. And it's something I got to remember on a day like today when I'm just so stressed
0: by the chaos.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but, but you, yeah. you know,
0: you told me, like, oh, dude, like, I'm you've fucking been shitting out. Scripts like you have been thriving in the chaos.
1: Yeah. So it is kind of the only solace I find is, uh, you know, well, I have my Thursday night online poker game.
0: Uh, which you're totally welcome to do. Is this? Like, uh, who who else is in this game? Who's uh, at the table?
1: It's uh, it's a bunch of my college buddies. It's you know, uh, but you know, we have some fun appearances. Is it on by Zoom? How does it work? Take me, take
0: me, take me through how this works.
1: All right, so we play on a platform called Donk House. All right, I love <laughs> so, that. Name. It's, a, it's, a, it's, like it's the worst Pornhub
0: gambling. And, and, yeah,
1: exactly. Right. <laughs> and it has a, the word Donk has a weird yeah, yeah. like sexual <laughs> thing. to it. Even though if you think about it, it's like the logo is like a donkey. So like, all yeah. oh, right. Yeah. But um, basically, it's a very, very simple platform. I feel like it's probably just collecting data. It's like a free poker platform that's just collecting data to create like the ultimate poker AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm 99% <laughs> sure that's what's happening. But it's a completely free platform. You can sign up, like send invites to your friends. You can get on there and play. And you play with virtual chips. There's no money involved, right, in the actual site. So what we do is we just track the buy-ins, and then at the end, one guy used to be me. I'm so glad it's not me anymore. Shout out my boy, Drew, who does the math to say, okay, you pay this guy. Molly and Molly's game. That was you basically. This (laughs) is my game. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then we talk on Zoom or on Google Meet or or what have you. Uh, So you got two windows open, and you're doing the thing. It's a great fucking time. Uh, You know, it's really, it happened in the pandemic. It allowed me and a bunch of my old buddies to reconnect. It happened in that era when people were like, yo, you know, like, I know we're all sitting around. We all haven't gotten a chance to hang out in a while since college or whatever. Let's do this thing. And then people are like, oh, here's my homie's going to jump in. So it's like friendships have been made. Actually, at my wedding, at Allie and my wedding, there was a bunch of people from the poker game meeting in person for the first quarter.
0: It's like Utopia,
1: that show. I don't know if you ever saw that. Oh, yeah, the the British show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the British was. That was a really crazy show. It is
0: fucking awesome.
1: And it was like two seasons and then kind of ended abruptly. Is that right? Yeah, I don't know why it ended. And then they tried to reboot it on
0: Amazon, and it just didn't work.
1: See, I didn't even hear about that. Didn't even know about that. Yeah. Recently, somebody was like, oh, the Fletch remake. And I was like, there was a Fletch tree. Yep.
0: John Ham. John Ham. Really? Yeah. Huh, interesting choice, Abdullah. What I want to hear about is—is is first of all, you've had such a like storied career already, and you're very young. <laughs> obviously, um, thirty-nine. I don't know if that's very. Young, I, <laughs> that's pretty dang young. I feel. I don't know. I feel like just doing a little history research and what I've known of you, and I discovered you on Bon Appetit, like many others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also would see you and read stuff by you, um, before actually meeting you in real life. So my question was going to be like, you know, were you always just like a curious kid? What, uh, you know, being a Mm -hmm. writer is such like a Sisyphean shitty thing to be, you know, it's like so hard and you really have to like love to communicate to do it and stuff. So like, what, what were the first inklings of like, you know, maybe, maybe I should make this my life mission or my career.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like, I was always, like, moderately good at it. It was one of the things that, like, oh, Abdullah's good at spelling, and then, like, Abdullah's good at at writing or whatever, you know, and I was kind of a funny kid i guess or a kid who's always like looking for a laugh were you like the,
0: thing. the class clown
1: yeah there was definitely times i mean i have a memory of like you know the the substitute teacher or whatever leaving the classroom alone in third grade for like you know 15 <laughs> minutes and then like and then i basically blacked out and the teacher walks back in and i have like the garbage can on my head you yeah. know what i mean and everyone's like pointing at routine. me yeah exactly right <laughs> but like um you, you know but in my family I'm Pakistani. I grew up in Thailand, right? uh, As an expat. Uh, You know, in my family, the idea of being an entertainer for a living was kind of crazy. It was one of those things where your parents would be like, oh, that's a one in a million shot that you can make a living. There's not really a concept that, oh, as a writer or an actor or whatever, you can make like kind of a reasonable living, you know what I mean? In in the middle somewhere and you don't have to necessarily hit it big to prosper, right? My dad was a professor. My family was in academia for the most part. That was kind of, you know, what seemed like a career path to me. But, of course, not necessarily being an academic, my brother is a, you know, a computer programmer. That's what he went to school for. Were
0: you a big reader growing up? Like, even just like, you know, of course we had to yeah. read for school, but did you enjoy it? I, I wasn't someone who was like, oh, no, I have to go home and read. I enjoyed it. So i yeah. you.
1: That's interesting. I, I read a lot of the, uh, you know, the Goosebumps and the Aliens Ate My Homework and all those Scholastic <laughs> uh-huh. series or whatever. Yep. And then, you know, Lord of the Rings was a big book series for me. My mom read it to us, and I read some of it myself. It was kind of how I started reading more, like, Grown up stuff yeah. But I don't know What it is I'm a very bad reader man I, it, I rarely finish books now as an adult You know there's books that I really love That really had an impact on me Ishmael you know is one of them uh, Cosmic Serpent is another one But that mm. I listen to as an audio book You know and there's books that I love And that inspire me But I'm one of the worst readers ever uh, I find it overwhelming How many fucking books there are Movies,
0: TV just shows. In, just in existence? Yeah, yeah.
1: Because it is like... I, I get overwhelmed with the idea of what I should be consuming, right? Like, like when I got into screenwriting, it was like, oh, you should be consuming the AFI-100. 100. Here's 100 movies from the last, from the entire existence of movies that you should watch, and that's a good starting point. 100 movies, I can handle that, right? With books, I don't know where the fuck to begin. I don't know what I'll like. I don't know what's important to read, you know? And it's I've never... I've I've always found that overwhelming. So it's hard to start a book. A lot of times a book will seem interesting. I'll start, I won't finish it. I don't know what it is. For a person who writes, uh, you know, for a living, I should probably read more. Uh, But yeah, you know, like I was saying, my family was like, okay, like, Abdullah's gonna go to college. That was a given. Everyone, you know, had to go to college. Uh, But what does he go to college for? And marketing seemed like a good way, like, you know, in between creative and something potentially, you know, lucrative or, excuse me, whatever. So I was a marketing major through college and I hated it.
0: Where did you go to school?
1: I went to Temple University in Philly. Right. And uh, so, you know, I had a few writing courses that were interesting, kind of in the sociology or anthropology school or whatever. That's the stuff I really took to. And when I graduated, it was 2007, I was not an excellent student. I was not, you know, like, so I I had a hard time finding a job. number of things happened in my life that sort of prevented me from moving forward, you know? Did you stay in Philly right after? I did stay in Philly, yeah. I stayed in Philly for, like, another three, four years and, you know, did a lot of stuff. Uh, But mainly, you know, the thing that really lasted for me was I started writing for free for, like, a local hip-hop magazine. That grew into, you know— I pitched something to the Philly Weekly. Wait,
0: before you go on, I read online you interviewed DJ Shadow. I did interview DJ Shadow. Can you tell me about this a little bit? Because I am a Shadow stan, and when I saw that, I was like, I need to ask Abdullah. Tell me everything, dude. No one's ever
1: asked me about this. I'm pretty excited. Because, you know, like, I am a musician. I was a music journalist for a long time. And it's kind of like a you know almost like forgotten chapter
0: of my career yeah. you know so okay here we go. I took, take your glass. Can I just I just want to set this up a little bit. If you if you haven't listened to DJ Shadow out there, you are truly missing missing like one of the pioneers of even I don't even know what you would call like trip hop experimental yeah. break beats, but like or straight up hip hop. Yeah, too. I, I think it is also in some ways it is just
1: hip hop but done differently. It's like instrumental, whatever, yeah. and it also launched the genre. I don't think you would have like Flying Lotus without BJ so Shadow. True. You know what so I mean? So true.
0: You should listen to introducing in the Private Press and so many uh, others. Preemptive strike. Preemptive and, strike. Yeah. This mountain will fall. I even enjoyed very much. So, which came out in like twenty sixteen.
1: Yeah, and actually, then his later stuff is really varied. Yeah, and his original fans were like not happy with it. He gained new fans. He's sort of like he's evolved a lot. He has an interesting story, and so. I interviewed him when The Outsider came out,
0: right? I remember that was the that was the one that lost me in college with the cowboy on the cover. Yeah,
1: and it was very polarizing. Yeah, very polarizing. I love
0: the intro song on that. That's really cool. That's like this time I'm going to do it my way. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. It's like dun 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 dun, and it's like a voice. It's like I'm thinking of a different
1: song. Oh no shit! Yeah, you know that album for me also was like I didn't like it as much as the previous two. And when I interviewed him, I think that was the sense he was getting from his fandom. So I interviewed him at Irving Plaza, right? I got to spend an hour with him in the green room. Oh, my God. Just me and him. I regret what a dork I was at the time, you know <laughs> what I mean? Because I'm sure I asked him lame questions. Um, do you call
0: him Josh or you call him Shadow? Like, what do
1: you... Uh, I think I called him Shadow. Okay. But there was, it was just a one-on-one conversation, so there wasn't that much Yeah, you weren't to... like, hey, Shadow, can you pass me that ketchup? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was no burgers either, which was, uh, I was disappointing. But so, this was at the time when his live setup was this thing called a Shadow Sphere. Uh, and it's basically like a ball with the DJ setup inside it, and he's inside it, and it's like projection mapped shit onto the sphere, right? So this was a time when a lot of DJs, like, were doing this. Flying Lotus had his, like, cube thing, and uh, Amon Tobin had his ICM like, projection map thing. So this was Shadow's thing at the time. They took me into the little shadow sphere. He showed me around. I got to do this interview. So I worked at Vice at this uh, vertical, this channel on Vice called The Creators Project, which mm-hmm. focused on um, music or art and technology, basically, right? The, the, the cross-section of art and technology. So this was kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, DJ Shadows using this new equipment and doing this thing. That was the, the thrust of the piece. But they really, you know, I've really have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, positive memories about that time because, you know, the people I was working for at Vice were giving me a lot of freedom to to do this kind of shit. You know what I mean? It's like, of course, that my experience at Vice went, you know, it had many facets to it, but this was one facet where I was really empowered to do exactly the type of journalism I wanted to do. So I got to do that interview, and it was really, you know, I got to indulge and write like a 2,000 word piece about it. I interviewed LP. Oh, that's
0: fucking cool. Yeah, it was
1: like really one of my, you know, musical heroes. I think the music that I make, you know, is is really, there's a lot of inspiration drawn from LP. That was a very cool experience. Like Kid Koala, Mm -hmm. um, handful of others. That was a good time. Like I really got to do some interesting journalism at the time when internet bandwidth had expanded enough that, kids from all over the world could download music-making software and then upload that music to SoundCloud
0: Bandcamp. Yeah, was it like Cloud. Fruity Loops? and Yeah,
1: th- this is probably even a little past Fruity Loops, where it's like, you know, Fruity Loops was like when I was in high school, I got access to Fruity Loops. This is like, you know, Ableton Live, right. I think, really drove right. that, uh, you know. And, and I'm sure there's other softwares that, you know, uh, played a part as well, but I feel like Ableton is kind of the standard. Yeah. But, yeah, it was a really interesting time in music. I got to carve out my own little corner doing it. Uh, And then shortly after that, I kind of transitioned to cannabis. I, I honestly got a little disillusioned with covering electronic music when the whole EDM boom happened. Yeah. Because that's all suddenly, you know my that's all my superiors wanted suddenly you know what i mean was like, like that like 500 stuff. words
0: on skrillex yeah, yeah. and oh, i
1: was God. not interested in doing that because look i i think that that stuff is weirdly like it's the secondary market for like british electronica where they're like drum and bass the new thing or like whatever like dubstep and i'm like dude it, the uk churns out like a different
0: beat style like this every season you know what I mean? And we get fixated on one, and I don't know. I Listen, you may be surprised to learn this. I, you know, in high school or whatever, I was listening to LTJ Book 'em. Like, oh, yeah I was Dude, very awesome. And, uh, Head Russian optical. Yeah, I was and, very and, much Kruder uh, yeah. and Dorfmeister. I was very Fuck much yeah. an Infected Mushroom. I was into weird, like I loved, I, I don't want to say trance, it'd be, but at the time it was yeah, so yeah, like yeah. Goa-based, sure. I think, or like, yeah, of you course. know, um, Oakenfold and, and all the, the there was a global underground. And, they and, had that series and like
1: Mark Farina, Mushroom yes. Jazz. Uh-huh. And, and, yeah, man, I love Saint that Germain.
0: Stuff. All of that shit. Fuck
1: yeah, dude! And and this all this kind of stuff. I think that, you know, it was like really dope and then became like the epitome of cheesy. Like, mm-hmm. this is what's playing at a spa. Yeah. But now it's like cool again because it's been 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I truly
0: have been listening to like old, like Creamfield sets and stuff, yeah, just yeah, being yeah. a nerd. Fuck yeah. In dude. my car.
1: Yeah. 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 Same. And you know what's interesting, man? And this might be some stuff worth sharing with you. Like, so I do. Uh, a radio show on spotify i saw that yeah and it's it's pretty niche i mean it's like you know it, like i have a dedicated tiny following on it but they fucking listen to it you know which i love that there's like a handful of people who are like oh this guy has totally the touch and making music that i like i <laughs> plug it Abdullah. plug for yeah, What's so it for us so it's called abdullah's radio show okay. very simply and it's only on spotify I started making it when I discovered Anchor, uh, or you know, or which is now called Spotify for podcasters. It's just like I literally just sit there and make it on my phone. And when I'm doing it, I'm researching the songs. I know a lot about a lot of the songs because I track samples and sample sources. But you know, I learn a lot about each song. You know, it's really been great to do because I also discover tons of new music as I do it. Because I'm like digging and digging and going on discogs and be like, oh, who was on this album? Oh, this guy, whatever. Oh, maybe I'll play that song next. And check out the song. That's really good. Like, I just did an episode about Mad Lib oh, and wow. it's like 20 fucking songs, and Mad Lib has a thousand aliases. So, like, yesterday's new quintet is five guys and they did that album, but each of those guys has their own solo project. And then they have, it's like, I really got deeper into the Mad Lib universe than I ever had before. And I was fucking blown away. And he's truly one of the great artists of our time.
0: You know, did you listen to uh, mad Gibbs? Were you a fan of uh, the joint Freddie Gibbs?
1: I actually interviewed Freddie Gibbs at my apartment in Williamsburg. This was probably when the first one pinata or bandana, I forget what pinata, Pinata, Right. right? I think it was when pinata came out may have been even earlier uh, but he was very fucking cool guy, man. Chilled in my apartment. We smoked like four blunts. Uh, yeah. I interviewed him for High Times. Uh, yeah, he he's really
0: cool. All right, so your advice doing music, yeah, as yeah. you were saying, yeah. where did you, where, where, and then did Bong Appetite happen after you were writing music? Yeah. You, you were just about to tell me you were getting into cannabis and you may yeah. have been smoking it for years, I'm sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so a- as it went, um, I. Was doing music stuff at Vice and then I started Weedikit as a column, just, you know, that was going every Sunday. And the column had developed a little bit of a following. And, but Vice as a company, I think, you know, as is well known now, paid really, really badly. Yeah, it was, that was you know, just
0: like a, a not kept secret.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I was, you know, like, it was like poverty levels. I was getting $30,000 a year in New York in 2012, 13, right? So, another company called Karma Loop offered me a job. And by this time, I had done one episode of the Weedekit web series, right? Which was at the Cannabis Cup in Denver. And then I quit my day job from Vice because, as I said, I was not interested in the electronic music covers they were doing anymore. That was my day job. You know, I was doing Weedekit outside of that time. So So, I left for this other job, right? At this company called Karma Loop. And that was like not as sexy of a job, but you know, definitely not as cool as having that vice email at the time, but I was making more than twice as much money. It was like actually a living wage. And I, you know, had a lot of autonomy. was working with my friends, was enjoying that was it. was cool. That yeah, was a good time. And the understanding was, okay, you know, I had done the show, so I'll do the show on a freelance basis. But basically they hit me up and was, it was a little snaky. And, you know, like a, a vice executive was like, Oh, we'll we'll replace you with Krishna, and no one will even notice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which back then probably wasn't as like uh, controversial of a thing for the you guy. You can't to see, say. but my jaw just—I just, <laughs> <I> just <laughs> my jaw open as
0: wide as a microphone. That's yeah. crazy.
1: Yeah, and and you know, I, I look back on that, and at the time, I was like, yeah, he's probably right. But I was like, but trust me, I'm the weed guy. You know what I mean? Like, I got this. Uh, but it didn't go that way. And then the editor advice at the time was like. That's bullshit. I'm going to keep your column going. So the column kept going. I did a lot of reporting. And then they did Bon Appetit. And there was like they had done an episode or two and the host was like getting too stoned or whatever and couldn't handle it. So they, they brought, needed
0: a fucking pro. They needed the ringers. They brought in Babe Ruth and yeah. Weed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So this was when it was a web series. They brought me in. A, I did an episode you know, it was a good fit, so I ended up doing a bunch more episodes, and then, then I, you know, that was essentially freelance work. And then when they launched Vice Land, they asked me to come back. You know, they were like, "Okay, we want you to do the new version of Vice Guide to Travel," which we ended up filming and whatever. And it was like, it was a that was a very chaotic time. It was like Vice suddenly was flushed to make all this shit. And so I got sent out to make stuff, you know, that was pretty extensive that then would end up getting shelved or downgraded, like, you know, severely. And that happened to, to one series I did. And then the other one was a show called Vice Does America, which was actually a cool show. Uh, it's, I think it's still like, you know, up for purchase on YouTube and Amazon and shit, but it was never really, you know, it just didn't really go. Uh, But it's like it was a road trip show. It's like myself, a black journalist and an immigrant journalist went across the country in an RV in 2015. So we really sort of documented the rise of Trump. Wow. Uh, And we interviewed all kinds of crazy people and, you know, all this shit. Uh, It was a cool show, but it basically it didn't go. It flopped. So, you know, they were like, all right, just work in development. And this was a good time, you know, uh, advice where it was like, you know, I was able to do documentaries for the web thing. I was able to do, uh, you know, stuff for Viceland. I was developing, I was basically working as a development producer. And then this dude, uh,
0: Nick Weidenfeld is a, producer yeah he uh he is very big and in, in the animated world and also yeah, of course. He, i love time crisis his podcast is with with ezra and uh jake longstrat oh so i've never funny. even heard that it's i gotta check that out That's the funniest oh my god I'm that's really, awesome yes.
1: but yeah so he came in uh you know as the new uh, head of development for viceland and he was like i feel like he hadn't even seen the bong appetit web series but he was like we should do like a weed cooking show and i was like oh i did one Actually, four munchies. Check it out. And he was like, oh, you should do like a TV version of this. And at first I was like, fuck, no, I don't want to do that. I was like, I'm past this. I don't want to go back and redo something that I already did, you know. But he was like, trust me. And, you know, he was right. (laughs) In the end, I had a good time doing the show, did my thing, left after like 30 episodes. Money wasn't right. Vice was sort of, you know, falling apart uh, at the time. But, you know, like, I I counted my blessings in that I got to make a bunch of stuff. Definitely got fucked on the money, but, you yeah. know, who hasn't these days? Oh, yeah. I feel like that's really the, you know, kind of the nature of being a creative person is that these massive companies have really figured out a way to limit how much money we're getting from the content that we're developing, yeah. you know, from the ideas yeah. that we're putting out there. Whether you're working in media or you're, you know, working in entertainment, television, film, whatever. It's all the same, I think. You know, we're just at a point where everyone's been pressed, like, too much.
0: You yeah. know what I mean? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and then here we are on the day, hours potentially before a sag strike.
0: What a thing. Minutes to midnight. Yeah. So what what got you then to Hollywood? Like, what made yeah. you want to be like, uh, you know what? I've done the vice thing. Did you like, did you move to LA? Like, what was, what, like, what was the genesis of, I'm going to continue this crazy journey, even though it's not, it's, you know, you sort of saw behind the curtain and saw how the sausage was made and was, you know, you, you know, it was a, it was a wake up call, you know? Yeah.
1: You know, so I really think my career has been marked and a lot of people, anyone, my age, I think could probably relate to this has been marked by, Getting to a thing and then them being like, ah, you just missed the good part of this. Now it's collapsing in on itself. Dude, so, totally. That's strip what I said. the say. copper we, wire out we, of this we bitch. We just got to the party <laughs> and the
0: cops are coming. Exactly. Yes, yep. exactly.
1: So first it was print journalism, right? I got into print journalism. I remember, you know, I was like doing stuff for Philadelphia Weekly that people thought was cool. And I met with uh, the uh, arts and culture editor, this guy, uh, Brian McManus, really cool guy. Uh, you know, he ended up working at, at Vice later. Uh, but yeah, he was like, yeah, man, like this is kind of it. It's like, it's the top of the, it's like, my job is essentially the best anyone who's doing this can do in this town. So you have to like, you know, go to the next place. I was like, okay, yeah. Print in Philadelphia was falling apart. The weekly papers were getting thinner and thinner. You know what I mean? There was yeah. kind of a crisis in print, uh, nationwide. And then, you know, I w- got into digital journalism, right? And by the time I was at Vice, they were like, oh, the bottom's falling out of this, uh, you know, online video or whatever, online journalism, this and that. Uh, and then Vice buys a cable channel and everyone's like, right, well, okay, you got a cable show, but just so you know, cable's falling apart. Like, this is completely, it's collapsing in on itself. It's like, okay, fine, you know. <laughs> and then uh, I worked on high maintenance. So, uh, you know, Ben Sinclair, buddy of mine, he uh, you know, we met each other because we were both doing cannabis, digital cannabis content at the same time in New York. Um, and you know, they have uh, they had the cast, like, you know, or people who have played, you know, it's a massive cast. Yeah. Uh, and you know, friends of the show or whatever, submit story ideas or whatever. And then, you know, they uh they hired me as a writer or they wanted to hire me, hire me as a writer on season two. Vice was like not into it. So, you know, I, I did a cameo role. Like, you know, I, I played the Uber driver in the show. Or I guess it's not a cameo. It's just, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't popping enough <laughs> for that to be called a cameo. So basically, I, I appeared in the show as the Uber driver. Uh, and, you know, then I wrote on the following season. And then Ben and I sold an idea uh, to Searchlight and New Regency for a film that was kind of a crazy concept. And we wrote the film, you know, wrote multiple drafts of the film, and then, you know, it just never went anywhere. Wait, 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 I have to
0: ask you, though, like, you sold me, like, you sold a pitch? Like, what did you... Yeah, we
1: basically, so we had talked about this idea of, like, you know, I really got fixated on this prison break that happened in Bali, right, from a prison called Karobakan. And it was basically, like, this Bulgarian dude, a Malaysian dude, an Indian dude, and an American dude, like, collectively got together and escaped from this prison and then almost got away, but they caught them at some resort and brought them back in. Uh. And it's a tourist prison in Bali where it's like, oh, it's a tourist town, but drugs are very, very illegal. You're in Indonesia, and if you get caught with drugs, they throw you in this jail. And I just thought it was so fascinating that these four completely different guys like found themselves. Like, and the, the thing they have in common is they like drugs and they're in this prison together and they're like, we're going to bust out. And it's like a very unlikely friendship. I thought that was super interesting. And you know, uh, Ben and I were living together for a couple months at a time, you know, when I was like back and forth between New York and LA, I was subletting a room in his place. And we would talk about this idea and he was really fixated on the the thriller uh, you know, the, the prisoners doing a coordinated dance to Thriller yeah. in that Filipino jail. And he was like, maybe we can combine these two ideas and then go around and, you know, and pitch it. Uh, and then so, of course, at the time, high maintenance is, is you know, uh, like a, a real popular show. So uh, Ben sort of like, you know, gets us into the room in a bunch of places and we're pitching this thing. And everyone's like, this is nuts. You know what I mean? Wow, what a crazy idea. Okay, cool. Uh, you know it was the only time I think I've had a bidding war <laughs> or something that I was working on you know what I mean but it really was at the time it was like holy shit but then the idea maybe was so insane at that point right that it just I don't know maybe like kept collapsing into itself as we did different drafts you know what I mean it was like
0: it was such a more crazy people concept. were giving you notes maybe and it just kept making it worse something like that.
1: Yeah I, I don't know. It's like I even liked all the drafts of it but you know at one point it became a musical That's like hilarious. at another point yeah th- there was like all this shit that I also was like completely new to this and I was like simultaneously listening to podcasts you know and reading books about screenwriting and like really trying to like crack the code and be like let's figure this out. So for me, it was a huge learning experience, right? Like, that that, that was really what it was. You know, and I don't know what I would have done differently at this point. Maybe kept it simpler, you know what I mean? But either way, I also learned that just because you sell an idea it doesn't mean that it's going to be a movie and you're suddenly going to be sitting at the premiere yeah. and people are going to be like, good job, buddy. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's part of the slog. of the job yeah you know i got paid to write that thing you know like i can say now oh i finished a multi-step script deal
0: you know what i mean yeah i sold a movie to new regency and fox
1: yeah exactly so you know it was a start it got me into the guild and then once i was you know in the guild i was like you know i got dropped by a manager or whatever got a new manager it was sort of like you know i was like languishing a little bit I wasn't sure what the next thing was because initially when I came to LA right I was planning on selling a bunch of documentary stuff because I had just done a bunch of documentary stuff like I'd done this mad honey doc Mm -hmm. that won a webby and it was like really cool I was like oh I built a pitch around that going to different places and discovering you know indigenous misunderstood substances or whatever you know and then uh I was like built a, a, a some other kind of you know like cooking related cannabis and cooking thing tried a million different things you know cannabis brands at the time the cannabis industry was nascent you know yeah. under under uh recreational cannabis uh so i'm trying to find partnerships there you know what i mean trying to make money off my social media with cannabis brands despite being, you know, throttled like crazy for having cannabis on my fucking feet or whatever. So all of these things did not work out, right? Like, I didn't sell any fucking unscripted stuff, didn't make any, you know, inroads into cannabis, never, like, made money off of a cannabis brand or started my own brand, never did any of that shit. So I was like, what the fuck do I do? And, you know, I was in this script deal that was ongoing, that was good, okay, but I needed to level up i need to do something you know and it was clear that like everything else i don't know it was a hard time to sell anything I yeah think, wait like,
0: Abdullah. what i wanted to ask you before you go on is like did you guys sell that in the room do you remember like were yes. you just like pitching it and they were like we'll take it
1: yeah it was one of the craziest things of
0: my life that's what i want yeah tell yeah,
1: me about that uh it, so we first pitched it to brian grazer right
0: to him like directly
1: yeah yeah it, which was pretty <laughs> you know cool that usually doesn't happen i, I, I know and i I'm, and obviously like i'm sitting there and, and i love like you know like looking over at ben and he's just like so like completely natural and i'm like i'm like is he freaking out inside like i am you know what i mean but he's just like he's he's really good in those situations you know what i mean he's really good in the room as, yeah. as they would say um and Brian Grazer is, like, you know, really enthusiastic. We pitch him the thing, and he's like, fuck yeah, let's do this. And I can't believe it, right? Because I've constantly in my life, like, I've never even, like, gotten a job after a job <laughs> interview. Like, you know what I mean? That, Like, so my mind is completely blown. And then, of course, over the next few days— um, We go and pitch to everybody because, like, there's buzz about this script. Yeah, but Grazer is in
0: on this kooky prison musical. So
1: we pitched to, like, New Imperative and Searchlight and Regency. And I think, like, a couple places that weren't interested. You know, like, I think Amazon and they weren't interested. But every place was really into it. And really what that told me was, you know, look, this was a story about a South Asian guy, right? I had kind of, like angled it towards this kid who's in Pakistan and then, you know, is on his way to America playing gets grounded in, uh, Philippines. He winds up in jail, whatever. It's like, you know, this thing, so it's like a very, uh, multi-ethnic story, right? I'm a Pakistani person who grew up in Southeast Asia. This is like kind of, you know, obviously this is nowhere near what my story is, but there's context for this premise, right? So, you know, I, I, and I, and I've obviously been at, you know, was, at the time was like coming off of high maintenance uh, and was, the, you know, people wanted to see what's this guy, what crazy shit is this guy going to do? And we walked in with this idea. Um, so that was really cool. Every place bought it in the room. Oh, my and, God. And also I was like, uh... you know, at the time, of course, man, like there's th- this weird like feeling of like. Like, I, I've always had this sense that, you know, being a person of color makes you feel like you can't really walk in with your story without seeming like you're begging. You know what I mean? So it's like being in there with with an established, like, white guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It it was It's bittersweet in a way because in one way you're like, oh, my idea is getting this heat. And in the other way you're like, I don't think that I would ever be able to get in front of this audience without, you know what I mean, the help of this white dude that's bringing me along, right? Uh, which is a thing, man. I, I think, like, you know, even looking back at my days at Vice, there was a certain point where I realized, like, being brown was meant I was never going to get a seat at the table. Like, I was there creating shows, doing all this stuff, like, really working hard and, and excelling and succeeding. But they would never, I, I realized at some point, that table is only for for white guys. Like, I'm never going to get to sit at that table. They're never going to be, the my Pink Floyd have a cigar moment is never going to happen, right? And so it's like, th- that I think has, has been uh, a mixed bag because at times now, you wonder if that's the only reason you're in the room. You know what I mean is because you're a person of color, I feel like the pendulum swings so hard the other way. But either way, right, I saw that that was happening. I said, okay, we're going from a thing where, you know, Taika Waititi at one point, that same year, I saw a quote that really inspired me where he was like, you can now walk in with your story, and that's what they want. You know what I mean? They don't need a sign-off. They they just want it straight from you. Yeah, You don't need a conduit to it, right? Um, and... And, and and of course, like, look, I, I'm I'm super thankful for all the white guys that have helped me <laughs> along the way. Some of them have, have fucked me over or whatever, right? But but now it's like, okay, I don't need the white guy to get in the room. I can just be in there myself. And I wanted to write a script that reflected that. And I would written other shit that was kind of crazy, right? And a lot of times in my life, I've been, like, resistant to writing stuff that, involves my ethnicity so you uh-huh. know when i was making music i was like i don't want to be you know perceived as like the pakistani this or the muslim that you know but then of course when you do that you get results <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what i'm saying choked
0: on the microphone yeah
1: it, it, so you know and that like i had written like this animated thing that was completely fucking off the wall and you know uh some other thing i don't know just all kinds of shit that didn't involve my ethnicity. And then, you know, my manager, uh Anthony who's, you know, just like my my pal, uh, you know, as well. He was at the wedding yeah, too, so if you remember. Nice yeah, fellow. but uh, you know, he was like write something that's like to you is kind of grounded, but you know, involves your perspective, uh, but still has that like crazy flavor. So I so I, you know that is essentially the flavor that makes all my other scripts like unproducible <laughs> or whatever, right? so so i was like um okay i'm gonna write this thing about brothers in philadelphia i know all the details of philadelphia i know all the details of being a pakistani american i can make it feel really authentic and it was basically a you know uh an avenue to make a bunch of jokes because i was like you know every south asian american person has like two sides to them. one side that's like you got to button up and do the thing and make your parents proud, and the other side that's like, we're free, we can do whatever the fuck we want to right? And that's what these two brothers are, and basically, you know, that like that's the vehicle for the comedy in it. And then, <clears throat> you know, once, after several drafts, they started sending it around, and I got a bunch of meetings. And people were like, this is really great, like, this is really great. It's not for us, and, you know, we'll keep you in mind, but it's really great. So, you know, which at the time, it's like, Holy shit, I can't believe people actually like this thing. You're working on something by yourself for so long, right? Uh that
0: did you feel validated like I yeah. can do this? Like yeah, yeah, I yeah, know yeah. you had sold Big something to Brian Grazer or like you had everyone tell you this is amazing. But like, did you really feel for the first time like I yeah. created this weird thing in my apartment and people are really yeah, receptive?
1: Exactly. And it was, you know, I had I was the like solo creator of this thing, and people were like. This is funny. This is good. They said laugh out loud funny, which to me is the most important thing. Yeah. That's probably the thing I got to learn is like characters and emotions. Those are important. Right. I am all about jokes to me. If if people think it's funny, I think I won.
0: Yeah. That's the same thing. I think that's part of our like class clownness. Yeah. It's like. I don't know how it is for you, but I also realize like I'm not the most handsome dude. Like, sure, yeah, I can pass for like a, a seven, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: but I can make people laugh. But I'm I, that <laughs> yeah.
0: that you know. And when we've you know, you have seventeen, eighteen years of experience in school and through college of just like making a group of people laugh, and so that's where I get my validation from. And you, you know, it sounds like you do too.
1: Yeah, 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 definitely. And and that was a big thing in this show was that you know. People said it was funny and people have been saying, oh, we don't get a lot of shows and, you know, scripts and pilots that are like fucking laugh out loud funny.
0: Hard joke, 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 joke. Yeah, They keep being like hard funny. Yeah, you want yeah, hard yeah, exactly. Funny. All or like, you know, all these
1: phrases that I'm like, oh, yeah, OK, great. Like, you just I, mean
0: like me? Like I have yeah, a sense of yeah, humor? Yeah, because okay. I'm so fucking funny, yeah. obviously.
1: But so, yeah, like that, you know, I, a lot of meetings with a lot of cool people who were very encouraging but no one, you know, was like we're gonna take this on. But then uh, Jenny Connor's company, uh, two producers there, Nora and Katie, they read it and were like, uh, you know, showed it to Jenny. They all liked it and they were like, let's fucking go, let's try to make this thing. And I was like, what? That's oh my incredible. god.
0: Did you know? I mean, like, you must have, because, you know, girls and Jenny Connor, she's like a household name. Yeah. Were yeah. you like pinching yourself? Like, holy
1: shit. Yeah, I, I was pretty blown away by that. Uh, you, you know, like in that she was really enthusiastic about it. Uh, and she said at one point, I remember this because it was a very, very proud moment for me. But we were in a, a pitch or a meeting, or I forget what exactly it was. But she was like, you know, I really haven't seen this kind of electricity, like, you know, in a pilot since Lena. And I was like, oh, my God, oh. that's fucking. And, and, you know, like part of me is like, OK, she was just trying to sell no, it. Over the room, no, But no. the other part of me is like, you know, that's a fucking amazing compliment to receive. Still, like, you know, I lived in New York when Girls was coming out. And it was a real event show, you know? And this was still when stuff was yeah, airing, everything. you know? It was weekly. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, to have that kind of, uh, to capture that kind of, um, you know, moment in a show is kind of what I want to do for Delhi Boys, is and not specifically just Philadelphia or just South Asians, but kind of both, you know? And this moment in time for us in America. Because, like, Generation 1 of South Asian Americans, we're becoming adults, you know what I mean? We're starting to have kids of our own and, and all that, you know what I mean? It's like a whole another level of assimilation almost that we're hitting. And I think that you don't just become like a flat out plain American. You always have that flavor to it. And we have a very specific flavor, Pakistanis and Indians and Bangladeshis who are now Americans also, you know, uh, that's exactly what I want to represent in the show. Like, we have a lot of fucking crazy characters. We're not all just the side-eye auntie and the, you know, the conservative dad. Yeah, <laughs> You know yeah. what I mean?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Abdul, I feel like so much of this, like, everyone just tells us, like, like as you're saying, pass. No, this is great, but no thanks. Take me to that triumphant moment where you found out Deli Boys was getting a series order, oh, and this man. was for real, and all your hard work was paying off
1: yeah dude. oh man. It was such a journey too, because like you know, through that process, like you know i I, I first pitched the show to um to fox twenty one right, to this dude named Bert Saukie, who's like Jen sauki's brother, yeah, or husband, maybe I don't know I think brother, oh, I think brother. Yeah, yeah, either way. I think his wife Whatever. is also an executive. Yeah, or maybe, sure. I don't know, maybe they that's... All.
0: Isn't he like a hype beast? Doesn't he have like a supreme rug in his office? Yeah, yeah,
1: I, I think so. <laughs> and he's also like, you know, like uh, famously like, you know, a hard guy to pitch to. Oh, okay. You know? uh, who Like meaning like a person who challenges you. And honestly, in in a really good way, like pitching to him was like the most challenging hour of my career. And he actually asked me all these questions that I was like, yeah, wait a minute. Is this fucking show worth making, you know? And it just, you know, answering those questions affirmed that in me. And I was like, yeah, no, that's a good question. And I have an answer for it. And I feel like this pitch is strong, like it's fucking airtight. And he, you know, like kept like asking those questions that really, like you know, cut to the core of thoughtful. like, why should we make this fucking show? And then in the end, he was like, all right, let's go. Fuck it. Let's go. And I was like, holy shit, that was the most validating thing ever,
0: right? Was this for the sale of the pilot or the the series order?
1: This was for the sale of the pilot. Yeah, this was for the sale of the pilot. And so this was like a while ago. And then Fox 21 turned into touchstone television. Right. And then it was like, okay, there's new people now. Or whatever, Right.
0: Yeah, It's like a rotisserie. All
1: right. It, or that was, I'm so confused by this now because I can't even remember. There was so many pitches and repitches of the thing, but basically a lot of different people were coming and going, you know, and the thing was like shifting around or whatever. And then that became 20th television, right. Which was a different entity. So basically this like reshuffling was happening of Fox properties under Disney or whatever. And somehow, you know, it's another thing that was very validating was that Deli Boys hung on that script hung on. Like, you know, there would be changes and like the people handling it and they would be like, oh, this is fucking good, though. This one's funny. Like, let's let's keep rolling with this. And that, you know, like, that wouldn't have maybe happened any other year in the business, right? Yeah. Where suddenly all these different executives are looking at this script just because of the, you know, the reshuffling. And that all of them like it. Everyone's been like, oh, yeah, okay, this is good. Let's keep going. You know, I attribute a lot of that to to Jenny too, Is obviously, like, you know, like, maintaining the enthusiasm for this thing. Um, but, yeah, so basically... Then we took it out to pitch, right? And we pitched it to Netflix and Peacock and FX and Hulu, right? And they all passed. Oh, And I was at my were mom's like house. like, fucking
0: beside yourself? And did you do I it all was, in one day?
1: I got the news of three of the passes in one day. And I think one had passed before. They were like, oh, like, Netflix passed. I was like, okay, we got three more. And then it was like, they all passed. Um, or whatever. It, it all happened real quick. And... I was on the phone with my producers. I was at my mom's house in upstate New York. Cause like trying to be in the calmest place possible, you know, after all that work. And I started crying, like, you know, just on the phone. And I was like, really trying to maintain some composure, you know, with my producers. I was like, okay. uh," You know what I mean? Lip
0: quiver. yeah. Yeah.
1: And I was like, okay, it's cool. And I, and I remember saying, the only thing that came out out loud is that I'm so disappointed in myself. Oh, you know what I mean? It, it, it felt like I had really blown it. And even like talking to Anthony, to my manager after that, I was like, I was like, I feel like I didn't hold up my end of the bargain. Like you guys got me there, you know, you set me up and like, you know, and I didn't, I didn't like make it happen, you know? And so it, it was really tough. It, it, I, and that, you know, that of course, like, For the thousandth time, I dusted off my resume and was like, time to go get a fucking real job. And this is like, I feel like at this point happens like, you know, every like 36 hours. (laughs) You're like, okay, time for me to get a job. Like, I want, how hard is it to, you know, program a computer using AI or whatever? (laughs) You know, you're like, I could do that. I could fix people's computers. Uh, So, so it it was, that was, it was very, very difficult. And I kind of kissed it goodbye I was like, which in my life I've realized is a thing you have to do. You have to kiss the things goodbye. Even with like you know that, that movie for Searchlight, I was like, oh man, we're gonna make this movie. I'm gonna get my first writing credit. Like you know, the movie's gonna be a hit. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna be able to write all these crazy ideas that I want to write. But of course, like at some point, you realize it's not going to happen, and you have to say, okay, I'm kissing it goodbye. It's okay. I'm gonna move on from it. And then sometimes it comes back around and it's like that's exactly when you're free, whether or not the thing works out. Right. So meaning I kiss that whole idea of the movie goodbye. And you know what? It'll probably never get made. And th- that's fine. Right. It's like, OK, I I'd see the upside of that. With Delhi Boys, I was like, oh, that hurt. That was like years of work and progress. But let's look on the bright side. You've de- developed a relationship and a reputation with good producers and good executives and, you know, who say, okay, this guy's shit is funny. You have a really good sample that's now free, you know? Like, it's it's not in a deal or whatever. You can go blah, 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 whatever the fuck, right? Yeah. So I was like, okay, it's all good. It's still, you know, even like now when I think about it, it was a very, very painful time in my career. You know, it, like now, like, you know, like not being able to work on it while I yeah have it going so then we pitched it to they were like there's one more there's one more and it's part of this sounds like
0: rocky i I know it's
1: such a a philly story in a way
0: but it truly is yeah rocky i love this
1: i know right and they were like there's one more and it's uh uh you know onyx collective which focuses on you know stories by people of color and you know uh jenny had worked with tara duncan uh, on her Freeform show, you know, and now Tara Duncan's the head of, of Onyx. So there was like, okay, like, you know, they have a good relationship, like
0: a warm room.
1: Yeah, exactly. They're, they're interested in the show, whatever. But I also was like, this is so not going to happen. I, I just saw like, I'm over four pitching this thing. It is such a long shot. So you know what? I've kissed it. Goodbye. Here's my fucking show. I mean, I don't know. I, I like it, but you know, I totally understand if you don't kind of thing, you know. Did was you, like,
0: when you were pitching it to to Onyx, was there like that I don't give a fuckedness that's like it's like the perfect balance of like you you remember in like office space when uh, when he starts to like, I don't give a fuck if I'm here or not, yeah, and I'm gonna yeah, do yeah, my life. Yeah. And they're like, he is really, you know, he's yeah. got something special and they promote him. I feel like that's a little bit of like where you had reached emotionally, and you're like Fuck it. And, you know, because yeah, of that. that.
1: It frees you, man. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that helped to make me loose enough to be like, well, you know, like, this is the show. And, like, you know, like, at that point, I'd also practiced it a lot. I was hitting the jokes right or whatever. Uh, and then she bought it in the room. She made my fucking day. You know what I okay, mean? It, okay. it was,
0: Yeah. Okay, so, okay. Sorry. My mic was down. Okay. So <laughs> you are the 0 for 4. You pitch this thing. Then what? Is it immediate buy or is there Q and A? Like I really want to get the emotional. Yeah, well, it,
1: there was definitely a couple questions, but by this time, I I, fu- I feel like I could answer you any it question down. about you were it. Ready yeah, to like fuck you know, But from the beginning, from that first like Fox Twenty One pitch, you know, I felt like I learned how to poke the holes myself, and yeah. you know, it's like I just had a fucking answer for everything, uh, and usually. I'd have a little joke in it too or something, you know what I mean yeah. or whatever. And and I think like that's a really important part of it, man. Like that ah, fuck. The thirst is is the worst, yeah. right? That's the thing that that'll throw you off. And like, you know, I got to admit that you have to be a little almost like fatalistic because like I, I've quit things or walked away from things or been like, fuck it, I don't care. Sometimes it comes from a deep insecurity and a deep fear and a deep lack of control, right? That you're like, fuck it, I don't care. I don't care, whatever. Do whatever the fuck. Set it on fire. I'm going to walk away, right? Um, and yet that's the same fuck itness that makes you free enough, right, to be like... To be loose, man. Yeah. If you walk in and you're like your Gill from The Simpsons, your old Gill, you're like, oh, come on, old Gill really needs this. They're gonna be like, oh god, yeah, get this guy's fucking stinky desperation out of here, yeah. right? Yeah. But if you don't give a fuck, it like you know that, I think, yeah, man. Like in any situation, it weirdly sets you free. It's risky business, dude. Sometimes you got
0: to say what the fuck. Yeah, it freedom. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. <laughs> so, wait, so you're so wait. Sorry, I don't want to cut you off. Keep going. Keep oh, yeah, figuring. yeah,
1: yeah. So, basically, uh you know, then it's rewrites, 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 you know, like rounds. But wait, of wait, notes. wait, wait,
0: wait. You're forgetting the part yeah. where you get where they say we're in. Oh, yeah. Do you so, scream? Do you jump off the chair? What happens? Yes. Yeah. So, basically,
1: when they were like, all right, we want to do this, I have learned to just smile. And say, thank you so much. I'm so excited. That's it. Because it's like, don't sell past the sale, right? Don't say like, oh, you're not going to regret this. Oh, we've got so much fun stuff, Flynn.
0: Hang just, up when you get the yeah, answer you want. Just
1: get the answer.
0: We got a live one. Yeah, get yeah, out of the room. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> just, just stop. And, and and this is like, I've heard so many stories about people being like, you know, someone pitching something, selling it, and then keep going. And then it almost like throws it into question. Yeah. So... That was my reaction, and I hung up, and I, like, freaked out. Did you cry? And uh, I think I cried, yeah. I, Allie was there. Allie was either there right then, or she was, like, you know, it, it, in a Pilates class and was on her way home, or something like that. And we really, she was so happy for me. It was, it was really, like, an amazing moment. Because uh, also, you know, like like any uh, writer in Hollywood, really, I do it to... Impress the girl, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and that's like a thing to make her proud of it was a very, uh, you know, was a really good thing. And then, of course, in the end, uh, she, you know, she was cast as the bad guy, as the FBI agent in Delhi Boys. Yeah. I didn't know that, that's yeah. so funny. Yeah, yeah she's in that.
0: it, uh, yeah, and it's she's really badass in it. Um, so you do thousands of rounds of notes on the script,
1: yeah, so we do a bunch of rounds of notes. And honestly, that was such an experience, too, because, like, Jenny had, like, you know, a bunch of, like, fucking high-level writers come in and do, like, a, you know, pizza punch-up. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, my God, it's amazing to hear. Like, just, I was like, everyone's ideas are so fucking good. Like, just put them all in, you know? And, like, and then, you know, we all sat around and did, like, one last punch-up as just, like, our core team of producers and writers. And, like. That was so much fucking fun. I was like, let's do this every day. Yeah, And so, you know, it, th- the script really got to this amazing place. And then, of course, there's a struggle, too, I think, with really nailing the ending, man. Fucking endings. Because it's like, you know, even with this, you're setting up what these characters are going to be doing. There's a lot of pressure on the ending. I think everyone is demanding a lot from the ending, rightfully so, because it's got a fucking, in streaming age... You better hit with that fucking pilot ending, man. They're gonna stop the watching. The show, yeah. There's a million other things to watch. Like a person can just like, you know, I feel like that's a moment where you have them. And so there's a lot of pressure on it. And so we did probably like the most uh rewrites of just that ending. And then, you know, even still when I see it, I'm like, hmm, could it be that like it'll never <laughs> you know what I mean? Feel perfect, but that's just the nature of it. And then yeah, like the, the casting process was amazing too because I saw so much brown talent, so much dude, it's still like it moves me to see, and so many people hit me up and were like, finally, like i you know, this is a script that spoke to me as a South Asian person. You know what I mean, like does my father's just like this? I'm just like God, this yeah. with my brother, and that was again another layer of validation, honestly, I've been so anxious about the strike, that walking down memory lane with you about this right now is helping me so fucking much because it really was like, you know, just every brown guy that I've loved in a TV show almost, except for the obvious, you know, Oscar nominees (laughs) shit. You know what I mean? (laughs) Was Like, did a tape for this thing, read for this thing. That's amazing. And, you know, uh, I initially met Sagar, this dude who, he plays the older brother in in Miss Marvel, right? So he's already part of, like, the, you know, Pakistanis on, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. On TV, like, doing his thing. And we met because we have the same agent. And, you know, he had said, like, they'd been like, what if what are you into that you've read? You know? And he was like, fucking Delhi boys, let's go. And so we met up, and I was like, this guy has to be in the fucking show. You know what I mean? And then there was a whole, like, for a while, I was going to play... The wild brother and you know i really wanted Sagar to play the the sort of straight man and then at some point the the studio which in retrospect was is the right thing they were like this guy is a first time showrunner he can't star in the show and you know and also be the writer and whatever uh and at the time i was like oh fuck no i wrote this for myself or whatever you know what i mean but yeah in the end like i've exercise that and I feel a lot better it's like I feel more comfortable in these shoes because I've also seen the actors like do emotional things that I can't do that wouldn't serve my script as well you know so even though it was painful to let go of that it was the right thing in the end because then we got Asif Ali who's a fucking ringer you know what I mean and just the best fucking guy for like the the straight man and then Sagar you know who I, I just love to death, we got him as the Wild Brother. And then the two of them together on screen, like everybody was like, yep, there's your fucking show. Bingo. These guys work. You know what I mean? And it's interesting because I think it's like my version of that character was probably a, a little too niche, weird off the wall. You know what I mean? I feel like Sagar is grounded a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, and so we made the pilot You know, a bunch of rounds of edits, blah, blah, blah. That process was not as arduous because, you know, when it's just the script rewrites, like, you're just like, you know, I'm the only one actually touching the script. And it like, you know, it feels like there's a lot of responsibility there. You're like, I got to please everybody. But when you're looking at edits, you're just giving notes to another person who the editor who is now the writer, you know what I mean, of the thing. And that process was really cool. And also like, you know, so, okay, all that happens, right? Then Onyx at some way. We're waiting for the answer.
0: Okay, the buzz is. Yeah, good, how are they? Commu- are they communicating? Like you know, we're just. It's we love it internally. We're just waiting for the top person to weigh in. I mean,
1: not even that as much as like they were like you know, here's notes, here's notes. So the the execs at Onyx, uh, this dude Anil, uh, you know, and this other dude Aurelio, who are the guys like you know assigned to deli boys i was just like they were on set with us through the whole pilot do you like them do you get along i with fucking them? love Great. those guys and it's like you know it's like it's two brown guys you know what i mean like we definitely relate and like you know it was a really sort of family affair i think you know in, in a lot of ways like there was a lot of it, there was a lot of good vibes around it you know what i mean and yeah. and i feel like that's what shepard did it through and basically these dudes were conveying the notes. It was, you know, through the ad. It was like, okay, this, that. I was like, it's almost ready. Just a couple more things. And you know that at some point they'll stop giving notes. And then you're just in decision land. You know what I mean? You're like waiting for this to, to climb its way up. And so they set up a call and we're like, this is kind of a weird time for a call. It's like Friday or whatever, you know? Um,
0: and it's I'm a, on zoom zoom. Or a call? A it zoom. was a
1: Zoom. I'm in the desert with Allie at the time. I'm in Palm Springs. Chic. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I'm like on the Zoom, and we get on there, and I feel like Anil had set it up as like, it, like in the email, he had like red herringed us. He'd been like, oh, it's just a call about a note or a something, right, to not give it away. And then as soon as he was like, all right, we're you know we're picking up the show. Him and Tara, we're like, we're taking this show to series. Let's go! And I literally went <laughs> like a horse sound. I love a it. A horse sound. That that was weirdly what came out of me is I was like, get the bug out of here. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I you know jumped up and down. I gave what Jenny called uh my Emmy speech. <laughs> Where I was like, you know, yeah. to be like, oh my God, I'm so thankful. I just can't, you know, everyone here contributed to that, that whole thing yeah. or whatever. And then we uh we started the, you know, we started the writer's room process. Uh, you know, so Vali, who was the showrunner through the pilot. Uh, left to work on something else, you know, yeah. and, and I was like, "Oh shit, how are we gonna find somebody who's, you know, gonna fill the shoes?" And then we we interviewed a, bu- a bunch of people, and then uh, I met Michelle Nader, who was like just fucking incredible person. It was like instant chemistry, yeah. And she's from South Philly. She grew up in fucking South Philly. Oh wow, her bingo, yeah, and her understanding of Philly culture is like generationally deeper than mine you know what i mean so so all those like nods and references became started to become like deep cut like true to culture fucking you know parts of the story um and then we hired a bunch of writers who are like fucking incredible i mean we really got ringers Hell yeah. um yeah you know uh sudi green uh faraz ozel kyle Lau. Nikki Kishani, and uh, Mayhar Sethi, who's kind of a legend in the writing community for being like a story wizard. Mm. Um, really brilliant dude who's done a lot of shit. And so it's like, you know, him and Michelle are kind of our like number one and two showrunners, And then I like to think of myself as the vibes guy. You know what I mean? And then often like Jenny or, you know, one of the producers would be in the room. Were doing you guys the back thing. in person? We were back in Ugh. person. We were having a really good time. And so, like, you know, look, the only writer's room I worked in before was high maintenance, which is kind of like a, you know, feely room where they'll send you out and be like, observe a stranger and write their story or that kind of thing, you know? So this was much more like we're all literally in there trying to find the funniest shit possible. And the thing I realized also was that, like, in that time, my job is kind of, like, to sit back. And, you know, maybe like nudge or prompt conversation here and there, but really like we're here paying these writers for their brains, you know what I mean? And so like something a lot of people had told me was that you don't talk as much as a creator usually does in the room. And I was like, well, why the fuck would I? You know what I mean? Like we're paying them. We only have them for this amount of time. I'm here through the whole fucking thing, right? Right. And, and like, you know, like I, I really like to be able to mind their ideas for it. And thereby it's like there was a lot of moments like I left to go get married. I was gone out of the room for five days or whatever. And I came back. I read everything. And I was like, this is so fucking good. I don't have any notes. That's amazing. Whatever. That you I was like, like, let's just do all this. Everything that you guys are saying here. Because, I mean, the truth of the matter is to like, you know, what the fuck do I know? you know what I mean in terms of like okay, I have a good set of ideas that that build a framework for this, but no one wants to hear just my jokes for fucking five hours or whatever mm-hmm. right? I don't want to hear that shit like it's the collective power that creates the personality of the show in it in its realest way, right yeah like like I said, I'm the vibes guy. Like, I'll sit here and put out the vibe, you know, and give a a general uh, whatever. I'm the spiritual advisor, (laughs) right? But other than that, I mean, like, it seems to make sense to be like, there's really technical aspects of this that very competent technical people are pulling together, right? And then there's people who are very funny, like, filling that stuff in. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's so crazy to watch that process. And, like, yeah, I, I don't think, you know, if I have the privilege of you know doing this shit more for the rest of my career whatever you know I think that's that's how I want to approach it because it's also just more fun for me you know what I mean to be like like I love comedy I love comedians you know I I perform and produce comedy shows because I love comedians and I just want to see them and you know watch them do their thing and all that shit this is like the same thing It's like I get, like, a comedy show based on my joke premises for, like, four to five hours a day. You know what I mean? That's pretty fucking good. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's been an amazing learning experience. I'm, like, you know, still every single day I'm learning. uh, You know, there's so much that I don't know. And the stuff that I do know just raises more questions. You know what I mean? Yeah. so yeah, man, shit. I just really hope the strike ends so I can finish this. How many expression. more weeks do you
0: have to go? Uh, like
1: of, what? of the writer's room? Yeah. I, I think 12, 10, 12, something like that. Got it. I think we did eight and I think we have 20. So another 12. And I have no clue how this affects the production or blah. I don't know. This That's above my pay grade. I'm no so idea.
0: fucking sorry, dude. <laughs> Truly thanks, like I man. want you to I want you to, to get to run the ball in the end zone. I know you have, you know, because of this experience. But I really want you to have your Rudy moment because you deserve it. Right?
1: Oh, thanks, man. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. It means a lot. It has been it has been a painful time. It's been a complicated time. And and when you're left with a lot of. So I'm like, I'm, I am working on a lot of spec scripts, features, because I'd like to write a bunch of features. And Ali and I are co-writing some stuff, too. But. Outside of that, any moment outside of that, there's always that tinge of pain, you know what I mean? Or anxiety or just like, oh, I was so close or that thing of like, you just got here. You just got here right as this whole thing was collapsing into itself. You know what I mean? And another thing that's that's tough about it is it's hard to watch half hour comedies because like I love TV. It like brings me so much peace. But like, you know. This experience has made it hard to watch half hour comedies because all I can think about is that I'm not making mine right now, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. But you know what? I have a lot of faith in in the union. You know like look, another thing this has brought back to life in me is my activist spirit, right? Like I have this keen sense of justice, right? And that's what drove my cannabis coverage is like, I wanted to talk to veterans who were losing their, uh, you know, VA medical coverage because they're testing positive for cannabis, which they're using to treat PTSD or kids with severe seizure disorder, who, you know, whose parents are going to jail for giving them CBD or all these things, you know, where I just like scratched that thing of like, ah, oh, fuck, it's unjust. And, you know, right around the time we went on strike, I mean, look how many strikes are on right now. I know. People are taking to the streets. This is not just, oh, what the future of television.
0: There's it's, hotel workers out there. Yeah,
1: man. The UPS is yep. going UPS on strike. UPS is about to go on strike. Dude, if UPS goes on strike, that's a massive <laughs> fucking know, blow. I know, dude. I know. Yeah, right? So, like, you know, yeah, it's like, how am I going to order vintage T-shirts from <laughs> Depop? <laughs> it's like, how am I going to get my Ingmar Bergman Seven Seal vintage poster <laughs> from Etsy? Yeah. <laughs> But so basically, I, I think it's like, you know, it's a breaking point for everybody. It feels like the pandemic all over again because it feels like you're being throttled, you know, by something that's out of your control. Um, but that it is like I feel justified being out there fighting for our rights, man. And I think that, the, you know, the the press around how we've all come together is so heartening, you know. Yeah. I kind of have a compulsive problem with looking up strike news, looking for some glimmer of oh, hope. Dude, I,
0: re- I refresh Deadline like a thousand times a day.
1: Oh man, yeah, yeah, it's, I have a
0: problem. Yeah,
1: same. And I'm like, you know, the fact that you can't search threads for hashtags is very painful for me because I I just want to know about what's ha- what people are thinking about the strike. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? And it's it's taken over my fucking life. It's made me, you know, probably a pain in the ass for my wife. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's like, you
0: yelled honk in your sleep. <laughs> honk,
1: honk, honk, Come on, give me a big honk.
0: Yeah. When you get a truck, that's when it really, yeah. Like, that's. Yeah, hell you know yeah, I
1: mean? got one, dog. It's like fishing. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, y- you know, like, I am inspired by the solidarity as much as I, you know, I'm hurt by the callousness of, you know. Yeah. Just, like, yeah, man, the the idea that they're waiting for us to starve or waiting for us to lose our homes, you know, like, I I just can't imagine the inhumanity of having a home yourself and wishing for someone else not to just so that you can hit some imaginary, you know, financial, like, monetary marker for your investors and, you know, whatever the fuck. I don't know. But... That is what it is. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, that's the world we live in. No, that's, they're not special for that. No corporation gives a shit about the individual person. I mean, yeah. we know this, and yet we continue to be a society that expands their powers and their, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so whatever the fuck, man.
0: Well, this is what I wanted to tell you, yeah. Abdullah, is yeah. that, uh, I want you to know, like, A, what a huge deal it is that you have conquered. Truly, like, conquered. And, <laughs> and, and and it's not even a joke. Like, there's a statistic. I don't know exactly what it is, but you have a better chance of getting in the NFL than, like, making it as a, as a writer and getting a show really? made. Truly, me me yep. personally? No. Just, I, I always, no, always right? thought just that. People in people in People in general. <laughs> But I tell you this because... I would last
1: three seconds in the NFL. Dude, I would, I die. I would be dead. <laughs>
0: Instantly.
1: I'd be dead.
0: I'd be dead. I'd be dead.
1: They'll be like, oh, for the first time, like, uh, you know, a little uh, skinny, hairy
0: Pakistani man has made it into the Not NFL. the Rudy moment you wanted that I was talking about. But I wanted to tell you, dude, like, whether this strike goes on forever and for some terrible reason you don't get to finish Delhi Boys, like... I want to tell you this is just the beginning for for you and thank for you, all of us. Tr- truly, man. Like, and obviously you can't compare the two. But after Fairfax was canceled, I was real sad and dark, and like I thought I should have this special thing. And <sighs> I felt very entitled. Like I finally, I got. I really loved Fairfax. Thank man. you, thank you. I really did. Thank you. But what I realized is that like I gotta just do it again. I gotta just do it again. That's really like the yep. only way is like keep making more cool shit and you know, hopefully one of them hits. Very, very uh, small amount of people, the first piece of art that they make becomes Stranger Things. You know, and I I would almost bet my house that the Duffer Brothers, that's not the first thing that they made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It's just the first thing that got produced.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's so true. It is that perceptional thing, man. I, I think it's, you know, like that feeling you get when you're on strike and you're watching TV and you're like, oh, everyone got to make their show except me. Behind every tile, and this is important, man, and I think that this is important for everyone who watches TV and movies at home on a streaming service, you just blast through those tiles, boy. You just go, tile, I don't what's this, don't, it looks like shit, yeah. that looks stupid. <laughs> Behind every one of those billions of tiles, right, is someone's life, someone's absolute all their person, all their energy, everything went into making that. Yeah. Multiple people many times. I yeah. mean, of course, there's like a creator behind each show, but there's the directors, there's the producers, there's the executives that shepherded it through. There's the actors that were waiting this for this part their whole life and yeah. thought, you know, it would change everything for them. And people don't care about that. I think that's the biggest problem is that the value of content, the way it's presented... Right. On Netflix or, you know, on any streaming service, it just devalues it so much. All this fucking work. Right. That's a great point, man. Yeah. like, And I think it, it's up to individual people to appreciate that shit, man. And it's like, you know, don't be so cynical and to just be like, this is shit. I don't like that guy's face. Like, give things a chance. You know, like I, I myself see pilots and I'm like, I didn't really like that. But I'm going to watch episode two because I just have to give that person a chance because I would want someone to give me a chance. And no matter what your job is, you would want somebody to give you a chance and not look at all this work you've done and be like, next. You know what I mean? Yeah. No matter what you do, you don't want your work treated like that. No. Don't treat writers, creators, actors, producers, don't treat their work like that. Give it respect.
0: You know, dude, I completely agree. And Abdullah, the day will come when you get to push play on Deli Boys on Hulu. I'm telling you, you, I hope I'm, so, dude, dude it's going to happen and it's going to feel so much more sweet for you having this whole fucking insane. Dude, I tell people it took Fairfax five years to get on TV from the <sighs> day. We, from the day we pitched it to the day it ended up on television was five years. Yeah. So like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I completely agree with you and, and you're going to get your fucking moment. man. Thank I you, want man. You to have it.
1: I really hope so. You know, like also because yes, it would be a huge win for you know for for, for me personally from in Delay Industries, yeah. <laughs> but also, I'm I I'm not being disingenuous when I say I really think there's a lot of people in the world who will see this and think, finally, I see myself on TV, right? And there are kids like me who want that and you know need that, and those are the people who will be inspired, hopefully to do this shit themselves to say yes it's possible I can do that you know what i mean that when they see all these brown characters and they see oh some guy named Abdullah Saeed with the most muslim name ever <laughs> made this show that somebody doesn't think that oh that's going to stop me because i used to think that that would stop me you know not that long ago i thought that that would stop me and you know mashallah uh you know here we are today so let's hope let's hope Sag joins us out there and
0: talk some sense into the world that's you know? what's up there's no stopping you abdullah i have no question man uh thanks, you, ma- you made it. i mean like dude you did it and i just like no one tells us in this industry good job they just tell you pass or like the one i tell people <laughs> we have we have so few good days a year like yeah. a day you sell something you must have worked on that for six months you know yeah, and yeah, a lot yeah. of times you get a studio and then you don't sell it to the network like you experience you know yeah. and so you gotta take these wins and uh i just want to tell you dude like fucking pat on the back like let's just keep going thank you this is so
1: heartening and also i commend you matt for for just being a solid dude i i I know you through my wife and she says that in term in terms of like you know just your growth and your self-awareness and all that stuff that out of all her friends like you know you are the most evolved
0: Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, and, dude. And I was a wreck. I was a I was a piece <laughs> of sh- I was a piece of shit kid. Nah. Well, you know what?
1: Many of us were. I I was arguably a piece <laughs> of shit kid too. But you know, it, it's it's true that it, I I think this is a really special show too because you're talking to the people who do this thing, man. I'm so proud to be a writer. Yeah, Me too. You know? Man. I, yeah. It's it, it really is. And you know, when I hear other people's stories. It, this is a lonely profession mm-hmm. very often. So yeah. when you hear other people's stories, you know, who are having the same struggles and stuff, it's very heartening. I hope somebody listening to this, you know, who They're is gonna. somewhere I on that journey. You. Yeah. who I is like, you. who is like, yes, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And I did walk in here today feeling very anxious because of, you know, the, the state of things uh, we have no idea. It's so uncertain before midnight tonight, complete uncertainty, and i feel a lot fucking
0: better yeah dude if you if you have homies to go through it with like i really do believe in the community like the writers room is amazing and and trying to replicate that outside where it's like whether that's on text chains or going to play basketball with the people or even seeing people on picket line like as long as you know you know that you're not the only one and that everybody's journey is circuitous like i think you just need to know that this is a team sport you know i know mm-hmm. we do this alone in a room like you said unless you're in a writer's room but until you get to that point you're alone and you really do you need a great support system because this is really fucking hard and i i just wanted to tell you dude like you're doing it we're all doing it and like ah, there, there's only up from here truly
1: fuck yeah very uplifting thank you Matt. let's go get high let's go get high. <laughs> okay bye bye